Good morning. Thank you for coming out this morning. It's great to see uh, all the visitors this morning, and thank you for getting up early for, to be here this morning. Years ago, my wife and I bought one of these Thomas Home Center barn building kits. And in the spirit of the American dream, this was our very first home, and we nearly lived in it for nearly a decade. Now, a good portion of the construction was done by my wife and I, uh, with some help uh, of some contractors, including a concrete contractor who actually did the foundation of this house. Now, we bought a lot on a fairly sleep, steep hillside. Consequently, the foundation on the backside of the house was right in the ground, and in the front, since it was a steep hillside, it was 12 feet in the air. So a challenging foundation, to say the least. Now, the contractors, they did a great job. This foundation was tested several times. It withstood the earthquake of 1992, and many fierce south winds pounding the house since this house was built on a south-facing slope during the many strong storms that we had in the 90s. Remember those years when we still had rain? <laughs> the foundation may be the least appealing section of a house, but yet it is the most important one. The nicest house with all the amenities, but without a strong foundation, will not stand. So it is with our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Redeemer. The foundation lies in the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, covering more than 2,000 years of history. This morning, we will touch on the relevance of this biblical history leading to God sending His only begotten Son, who promised that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This morning, we will use portions of 1 Kings 8 and John 6 in today's message. Now, last time, we talked about David and Bathsheba in the biography of David, the book called Second Samuel. Today, we read from its sequel, First Kings. This book largely describes the life of David's son, Solomon, who succeeded him as the next king. It is a fascinating story, but also a paradox. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and it is Bathsheba that carried the child that turns out to be the heir to the throne, and it wasn't for a lack of successors. David actually had 20 sons from eight wives, but it was Solomon that was anointed by Zadok the priest and the prophet Nathan 
to succeed David to the throne. And this is where it gets interesting. David was a notable figure in Jewish history. He accomplished a lot in his lifetime. But the following generation, the successor, turns out to be an amazing monarch with incredible wisdom, and he overshadowed his father in many ways. We grow flowers in Arcadia, and in Willow Creek, and in Oxnard in Southern California, and also in St. Catharines, Canada. Now at these farms, we, grow, we mostly grow iris, tulips, and lilies. And in order to provide a great assortment to our customers, we grow numerous varieties. Through the years, these varieties have evolved from generation to generation, and new ones surpass the qualities of their predecessors. Forty years ago, there was an iris variety called Professor Blau, or Professor Blue, or Blue Ribbon. A blue variety, and in the 70s, this was the main variety. Today, 80% of the blue iris sold in the United States is a variety called Telstar, a prolific performer with the best face life of any iris, a definite upgrade from that Professor Blue, or Blau, from 40 years ago. Then in the tulip world, in the 70s, it was dominated by two cultivars, Appledorn and Golden Appledorn. These two varieties led the charge for more than a decade. Today, the leading tulip variety is called Stronghold. There are more bulbs grown of this variety than any other tulip. And it is the best yellow in the market with an amazing vase life, far surpassing that of the golden Appledorn of the 70s. Then in lilies, 40 years ago, the lily, lily varieties were enchantment and rubrum. Today, these varieties are gone. The variety with the largest acreage in the world today is called Siberia. It is a wide oriental lily with millions of bulbs shipped all over the world, particularly into China. So generations come and generations go. So it went with David and Solomon. David reigned for 40 years, seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. David's dream and quest was to build a house to hold the Ark of the Covenant. Now what's the Ark of the Covenant? In order to answer that question, we need to go back in time, 480 years. When Moses came down from Mount Oreb with the tablets, with inscription of the Ten Commandments, these tablets were put in a box, a chest. And this box was built out of acacia wood and overlaid with gold. Now the ark was with the Israelites throughout the 40 years in the desert. It came along when Joshua led the people of Israel 
across the Jordan into the promised land after Moses had passed away. Then the ark stayed with the Israelites for another 440 years, and it was well guarded, but it was held inside a tent. Yes, you heard this right, inside a tent. So after his arrival in Jerusalem, David prepared the blueprint to build a magnificent house called the temple to permanently create a sacred place to hold the ark. As David was proceeding to start construction, the Lord spoke and forbid David from continuing because of all the blood that David had shed in battles and the sins that he had committed. In other words, he called a timeout. God then commanded that his successor, the next king of Israel, was to build this glorious structure. After Solomon took the throne, he had a dream one night in which the Lord appeared. God said, ask what I should give you. Now just for a moment, imagine this. What what would we answer when that request was made to us? Let's see. We can ask anything we want. A new car? A nice house? A great job? Money in the bank? In today's material world, this list could be endless. But this is what Solomon asked for. Lord, give me an understanding mind and the ability to discern between good and evil. God was so pleased with this request that he not only blessed Solomon with incredible wisdom, but also with amazing riches. Israel experienced a prolonged period of peace and prosperity during the reign of King Solomon. Solomon wrote three books, and two of these books provide us with an amazing insight and wisdom while reading the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. We find quotes such as, Your own soul is nourished when you are kind. It is destroyed when you are cruel. Or, a good name is more desirable than great riches. Or, a happy heart makes the face cheerful. Or another one, a fool is wise in his own eyes. Or this one, start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thump their noses as such wisdom and learning. Now in those days, Solomon's wisdom was universally known throughout the Middle East and well into Africa. As a matter of fact, the Queen of Sheba, nowadays Ethiopia, was so curious, she paid him a visit. And as the story goes, it developed into a little bit more 
than just a visit. And she returned home bearing a child that was conceived by the king. Now, since the inception of the state of Israel in 1948, Jews from all over the world have immigrated back to their ancestral homeland. Particularly after the fall of the Soviet Union, a huge influx of Russian Jews, almost a million of them, were absorbed into the Israeli society, including learning Hebrew, the official Jewish language. Last year, I was talking to one of our Israeli bulb suppliers, and he told me about a sizable community of Jews living in Ethiopia that traced their roots back to King Solomon. Most of these Solomon descendants have come back home to Israel today. Then in 1 Kings 8, in verse 22, we read about Solomon dedicating the newly built temple. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands to heaven. And then in verse 41, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people of Israel comes from a distant land because of your name, for they shall hear of your great name, your mighty hand, and your outstretched arm. When a foreigner comes and prays towards this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all that the foreigner calls to you, so that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you, and do your, as do your people of Israel, and so that they may know that your name has been invoked on this house that I have built. So Solomon, in his dedication of the temple, and his prayer in, 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 in the presence of the assembly of Israel, is foreshadowing what is to come thousand years later, when God sends his Son from heaven to dwell on earth. And how foreigners, like us, right here, are given the opportunity to come into the kingdom of God. This is very significant, as it will prove to become an amazing gift, our ticket to salvation. But before we go there, it is important to recognize how the pathway to salvation came all about. Sam Walton describes in his autobiography, Made in America, that when he decided to find a site for a new store in a town that he had targeted, he would not drive around that town to find the site. He had learned that it was far more effective to look at things from above. So he would climb in, in his Cessna 414 and scope out that town from the air. It gave him a much better perspective. To understand Jewish history and how the Old Testament, the foundation, is such an integral part of our belief in Jesus Christ and the pathway to salvation, 
I invite you to come along on a quick flight to survey the history of the Jewish people. The word covenant is mentioned 280 times in the Old Testament. God made a covenant with Abraham and he promised, I will make your people as plentiful as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. From Abraham, Isaac to Jacob and the 12 sons of Jacob, the Israelites find themselves in Egypt for nearly five centuries. Then God selected Moses to free the people from Egyptian slavery. This brings us back to Mount Oreb. This is where God invokes the law with the Ten Commandments. The book of Leviticus actually lists 613 laws that were first penned down by Moses as he received the word of God and was added on later by others. These laws dominate Jewish culture from then forward. This is the whole reason the temple was built by Solomon. Even when this temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 BC, a new temple was built 70 years later. The laws of Moses were the law of the land for 1500 years, all the way up to the days of Jesus. Now, the salvation question among the Jewish people of that day was not clear. Some said salvation was only possible by obeying the law. Others disagreed. Just like the Supreme Court of today. The Pharisees and the Sadducees of the time held a huge power as they were the class in society interpreting these laws. But they could not agree on the salvation question either. It is at that point that God sends his son from heaven to save the people of Israel and the world. But this is very confusing to the Jewish people. This brings us to the text of today. John 6, 56-69. It is in your pew Bible on pages 98 and 99. I invite you to read along with me. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man 
ascending to where he was before. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Folks, this brings us to a fundamental question. The way we started this morning was the foundation of the house. And the question is this. Can only those who believe in Jesus Christ receive eternal life? That question was confusing to the people when Jesus said these words. The setting in John 6 took place the day after the feeding of the 5,000. The one we talked about last time. Even though all witnessed this incredible miracle, the crowd is still skeptical about Jesus. Particularly when he tells these folks that whoever eats this bread will have eternal life. These folks were raised in the Jewish tradition with the Ark of the Covenant and the laws of Moses. That is what they knew. But now things have drastically changed and the people are confused. So they keep asking Jesus, what do we need to do? And Jesus answers from verse 28 to verse 60. And this is roughly a 10-minute dialogue. Jesus doesn't just answer the question once or twice. No. Jesus repeats himself nine times. I find this amazing. Nine times Jesus says, Believe in me, you will never thirst or hunger and receive eternal life. I can't think of another place where Jesus repeats himself like this. Obviously, he did it to underscore the point. The answer to the salvation question can't be any more clear. These words from Jesus changed the world forever. Many people at the time did not want to hear and cover their ears. They did not want to see the light and closed their eyes. For a moment, think of it as for thousands of years the only mode of transportation was a four-legged animal pulling some type of a vehicle. And suddenly the automobile changes everything. Imagine still wanting to use the hoarding carriage today and reject the car. That would seem improbable, wouldn't it? Or likewise, it's like insisting on communicating through writing letters, while the rest of the world uses cell phones, or email, or Twitter, or Facebook. 
are still folks around the world that do not see the shining light of Jesus. That light that can provide us with eternal life. Solomon, in his dedication, asked God to answer his prayer so that all the people of the earth may know God and be accepted into his kingdom. The simple truth is this. All one needs to do, say yes to a personal relationship with Jesus, ask for forgiveness, eat his bread, believe, and you will receive eternal life. In a few minutes, we will sing, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as we close today, I honestly cannot think of a more joyful promise than the promise of eternal life. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. Amen.